Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the founder of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing artists and creatives working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. For this week's podcast, Jean-Marc, the producer at Vertex School, is stepping in as host for Ryan. Hey everyone, my name is Jean-Marc. I am the producer here at Vertex School. And today I have the amazing Thomas Tobin. So Thomas, tell us a little bit on what you do. Hey, so I am currently a senior technical artist at Unity Technologies. Uh, I'm working on a really cool project called Metacast, and it's pretty much the future of sports broadcasting. So I'm not part of the Unity engine team. Uh, it's its own little product development uh, team, and any art, any of the tech, hence the title, tech art, <laughs> I will work on. Uh, but I often focus on procedural, so that would be procedural cameras, procedural generation, um, a lot of this is unknown for our projects, so it's day to day. Everything, everything changes for what I work on. Um, I previously was at Ubisoft and worked on uh, procedural environments, and then also as the uh, the technical artist on a character team. So we worked on procedural stitches, haircuts, anything like that sort of thing. So awesome. a lot of varied work all around procedural. That's awesome. I feel like there's a big gray area when it comes to what proceduralism means. Um, what, what do you feel like it means to you? I think it's the, the act of never committing. So it's the kind of traditional way in any type of modeling is at some point you say, oh, I like this form. And then you just have to like you kind of lock it in and then you, you texture. And so that's very much so changing uh, within games now because if you have like a, uh, say procedural like mountain face, you place all the trees and then your art director is like, mm, this mountain is, it looks too steep. Let's make it like um, more soft or whatever. And then you smooth it out. Now some the environment artist has to go back, smooth the environment, place all those trees again. So huge time waster um so the kind of thing of never having to commit is in procedural if it's all done correctly you just bring down the mound and everything is placed automatically um and there's no extra work and so you can iterate a lot faster and have a lot more variations you can say oh show me 30 different mountains really quick instead of having to model those all you just have like a little slider and it it gives you <laughs> variations automatically it's yeah, pretty that, magical that sounds super efficient uh, out of all the projects you've done, do you have a favorite? Uh, I mean, the projects at Ubisoft, still unannounced, so it's <laughs> to talk about. Um, but I would say uh, procedural hair generation was what I was last working on. Um, it's a crazy cool topic um, because haircuts take hundreds of hours to perfect. Yes. And do. when you have hundreds of NPCs, uh, they all need a haircut, and <laughs> so 
either you have three haircuts for those 108 NPCs or you have a tool that can generate these. And so one, making them look fairly organic, it's uh, quite difficult in itself, but two, having the haircut not just all look like a like a bowl cut. <laughs> right, right, right. Second huge challenge. So yeah, I think that's probably my favorite challenge I faced. And I was on that for at least six months. Um, but yeah, that's probably one of the most favorite tools I worked on so far. I love it. Um, any wild haircuts that uh, you did on the generator? Yeah. Crazy we, mohawk. Uh, we uh, had a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, how did you fall into the, the tech arts realm? Um, is, I would is it kind of like, like by chance or is this something that you're kind of striving for? Thing. I would say a bit of chance. Um, when I first started out uh, from school, I worked at a place for in like environment art and just modeling in general. So I kind of learned it was like education kids games. And I kind of learned how that all works and how do you model uh, really efficiently for like a low end mobile device. Um, so I really enjoyed modeling and texturing and like figuring out like how stuff moves like in 3D like how do you get anything animated and then uh, I got an internship uh, in like the middle of school uh, at Houdini and so they were kind of looking for someone that was in games um, who had never touched Houdini so at that point I was going to work for Houdini never use their software and it was really about like what is the learning path for a student that's like wants to learn Houdini, wants to go into this like procedural world, but doesn't know anything. Um, so we worked on, I did like a procedural island scene and like, how does, how would you look at an island and break it down? And so it kind of was that love of manual modeling. And I know my frustrations, like <laughs> I knew what took me a long time because I had modeled it manually for a few years. So then figuring out, oh, that you can do this automatically was like mind blowing. And that's kind of how I then became the like procedural specialist. That's crazy. I actually think when I first met you, um, I think that was one of the, the portfolio pieces that we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, because a lot of my work is all NDA'd. So that's probably, if you're on my art station, that's one of my only pieces I can show publicly because <laughs> <laughs> that was back at Houdini. Got it. Got it. Are, are they still offering those, uh, the internships? Yeah. Um, there's an internship in Toronto every year. I don't know how many positions. And they also have one in, I want to say LA, uh, but feel free to check out the side effects internship website. And they hire for education. So that's teaching videos. Uh, their marketing department hires. And that's where I worked. Um, and that'll often be for the next 2 Dini release. You'll come up with something or uh, the programming team also hires for uh, main engine programmers. Got it, very cool. Um, what does it take to kind of get into these, this um, tech art area, you think? Is it just uh, a knowledge of Houdini and, and proceduralism or does it kind of get uh, a lot deeper than that? Mm, I would say traditionally tech art didn't really exist in companies and so the people that are tech art now are their visual effects guys, their shader guys. I mean, guys, girls, anyone. Uh, don't mean to gentrify <laughs> for sure, for sure. But um, like, it's it was never really a role. 
And so now that companies are hiring these technical artists, it's it's kind of a mix of people that like art. Sometimes it's even people that are programmers first and then are kind of start dangling their fingers in art. They're start looking at shaders and whatever. And so it's it's like a weird in-between of do you like art and kind of you like tech? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, there are some tech arts that don't touch code at all. Like they will only be like art first or like, are you a tech tech artist that's heavy on code? Um, so it's really just like the most ambiguous job title ever. It, it um, really is, yeah. Uh, it, there's just so much gray area that it's yeah. um, it's it's insane. Um, and I think the, at least from what I've heard, the tech art artists um, that focus on Unreal, um, some of them don't even use Houdini. And I think it's like a lot of like blueprinting and, and shaders and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, for sure. Like I would say though, on that note, uh, my personal recommendation is never focus on one software. Uh, <laughs> like I, while I do mostly know Houdini um, because of my internship, that was the start. Uh, if I were to change company and something, a lot of companies, like if I work at Unity now, right? At Ubisoft was an internal game engine. So if you're the Unreal guy, you will never be able to, like it can be quite difficult to try and relearn all your your like methodology to a new tool. So you don't want to be like the only Houdini person or like you're the Maya guy and you never will touch Max because <laughs> studios will force you to use their tool. Um, so I think kind of broadening your knowledge and being willing to learn all these different tools. Um, well, like, yeah, it, it's a good thing for not just tech art, like any artist. For sure, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but it's kind of, you get too deep in, into your ways that um, to kind of untrain yourself to relearn something. It's just a whole nother ball game together. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, do you see yourself ever leaving Houdini? Even if like a studio made you change, would you still keep using it? You think Houdini like, or you? Yeah, uh, Houdini. Like on like on your own personal time. Um, I mean, for me, no. I I think I'll be in Houdini <laughs> a long time. Um, because while Blender is making huge strides on working on procedural tools. Uh, and it's all free open source. Like that's amazing for one monetary, like not having to buy licenses. Side effects licenses are expensive. Um, but no, like again, that then we link right back into the last question of I've too committed to Houdini at this point <laughs> that I don't want to learn Blender. Um, and I mean, for me, <laughs> totally naive because some studios do. But Blender doesn't have uh, commercial support within AAA studios. Like you can't, it's very, well, I mean, you probably could, but it's very difficult to say like, I need, I want a production, like a contract with them. Like I will, I will pay you X dollars and you will support us if we have problems. Like you, potentially if you have a problem in Blender in a production, like that problem will never be fixed um, until they get onto it. Like until it's their priority. Whereas if you're working in Maya, Max, ZBrush, Houdini, like every company has some contract with them uh, for X amount of support. So like at Ubisoft, they're like, we had a support contract and it was like, 
probably will get hear back from them within two days and maybe they'll have a suggestion but that could be two months with blender so long answer to that is <laughs> one i don't like the risk and two i'm lazy <laughs> fair enough fair enough um i don't believe i ever introduced you but um our, our head of game arts, John Wainick, um, he was an environmental tech artist. And something he always told me is that most tech artists are lazy. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I mean, why else learn procedural, right? Like, <laughs> the, the thing is, you want, you want to be lazy, but you want to be smart lazy. Yes. Um, because if I'm, if I'm the one placing a thousand trees, for example, like I would, I will make a tool that places those thousand trees for me, but you don't want to be, if we're working on like a, I'm looking around my room, like a procedural desk, like it's novelty and it's cool that you made a procedural desk that has some slider, like you can adjust the drawers, but like how many desks does your game have? Like if you were, if you're making like five desks and you spent three months on a procedural tool that makes desks, probably not the the best use of your time because <laughs> you didn't sure. want to model those five desks right but if you're making 500 desks now we're talking that's where your laziness is actually useful kicking in yes yeah. yes i love it uh, my mom would be so proud if i tell her i'm lazy <laughs> <laughs> um what do you feel excites you the most about houdini mm. I think that there's so much to it. Yeah. Um, like even in our live sessions that I we taught yesterday, like there are aspects that I don't know off the top of my head, um, and that's totally fine. Like no one knows all of Houdini unless you're one of the creators. Like <laughs> <laughs> like there's so much specialty to it. Like there's vellum, like uh, cloth simulations and soft body simulation and modeling and like tops which is their automation it's like there's so much to learn that, that i kind of like that challenge um and there's always going to be a new field of like oh i've made a i don't know like a an arm or something and now you can use kin effects and you can make it move and it's like it's the all-in-one software that there's so much to learn about it i really like enjoy i agree i agree um i i, I was told you know when i first started learning houdini um, that Houdini is a very godlike software that you can, you know, what, whatever it is that you can imagine, you can literally create in that software. Um, it's, it's very powerful and that power can be a little overwhelming for people who are starting, um, my opinion, since, you know, you don't really know where to start. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree with that. It's like if you're wanting to learn Maya, and so you, at the same time of learning Maya, you're also trying to learn Maya's fluid simulation. Like you're right. just looking at too many different things. So that's what, if like, you're looking at wanting to learn Houdini, I always say, pick a project and narrow it down by half the amount of work you want to actually do. Because a lot of times you'll choose like a crazy underwater scene that has fish <laughs> swimming around. But then you have to learn so many other aspects of Houdini where you choose like a smoke effect or something. You're just looking at one aspect of you need to learn that and then you kind of build outwards. Um, so it's not so daunting. 
that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I love the, the the smoke side of Houdini. Yeah. Um, what do you wish you would have known in this field um, before you got into it? That it's okay not to know. <laughs> it doesn't always have to be an answer. Um, with the a lot of my coworkers, like they probably have done something like what the problem they're doing before, but they don't really know. And that's totally fine. Like, it's really about, like, I don't have to know that I don't have to be able to answer you right away. Like, as if you're standing there, this is the solution to your problem. Like, eventually you'll figure it out. Um, and it's just, can you figure it out is the thing, right? And there's a lot of methodologies of like problem solving. Um, but I think it's totally fine to go about that aspect of I need a problem solve to figure this out versus someone's like oh I have this massive problem can you help me it's like yeah I can let's go through this together um, you don't have to have the answer right then and there uh, yeah that, that makes sense that makes a lot of sense um, and especially with folks who kind of have like um, imposter syndrome and and they feel that that they need to know this in order to actually um, you know be good at and um, uh, tech art or, or 3D space in general, I think that you know yeah. it's you don't need to be a master at everything. You just need to know um, how to come up with the outcome, like, for lack of better words. Yeah, I mean that's that's totally spot on. Like when I started at Ubisoft, I didn't one I didn't like the program, and then middle of working there. Like I was working on programming tools. Like I had learned Python from scratch. And <laughs> no so it, that was the whole thing is like, maybe I don't know how to code Python, but I know I need this tool. Python is probably the easiest way for me because it's fairly easy language. Um, and so it was just, let's figure this out. Take, it'll take me a bit of time, but you, you have that kind of room to grow. It can be harder in some productions uh, when they're like coming towards launch and everyone's running. Um, juniors don't often get hired at that point because no one has time to kind of teach. Um, but if you're able to hit the ground running, problem solve immediately, like that's all people care about in the end. Sure, for sure. Um, when it comes to companies and uh, or studios, I should say, and uh, you know, the chemistry and, and, and culture, um, how important do you feel that is? I think it's fairly important. Um, I think you want to be a cultural fit to your team. Um, I think it can be difficult. Uh, one pandemic uh, makes it super difficult. Everyone's being hired <laughs> on remote, right? Even at Unity, like I've never met any of my coworkers in real life. I've never been to the office, um, but we totally have, I believe, the cultural fit with each other. Um, I think you want to make sure you get along with people, but to like the, some companies are so large, like Ubisoft was, I don't know, 4,000 people in Montreal alone. Um, so you're never going to kind of align with 4,000 people's vision. Um, but <laughs> if it's really going against your ethical standpoint of a company, or there's a lot of um, allegations and a lot of bad practices in the, industry um maybe kind of do your research in companies and choose wisely of 
if you think it will be a cultural fit for you. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and going back to the, the work from home thing, um, where, where do you feel this is going to go? Do you think this is going to be a, a lot more of a, of a normal kind of standard or you think it's just a, a phase? I think totally will be a, the standard going forward. Um, I think there was my quoting out of my out of thin air here, but there was a study <laughs> that was. Um, I do that all the time. Yeah, you can Google <laughs> it and you'll, you'll believe me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, something along the lines of we accelerated uh, remote work by like 20 years or something like this, the pandemic that is. Really? Um, because companies just weren't set up for it. I know the first like two weeks uh, when the pandemic hit um, was really rough, like working because none of the tools were there, none of the structure was there. And all of a sudden only IT people could go to the office and fix things. Like if your computer turns off and you have 4,000 employees, like one, they have to find your computer in a building. And then two, like, is it remote? Like, uh, do they know all of the, the employees like computer like connection whatever if they were starting remotely like just a total nightmare like tech wise and now that you kind of smooth that out that people have been working from home for two years i think now it's one companies are looking at leases like they have 20 year leases that they have paid for it, so they still want people back at the office and they probably are losing some of that time efficiency um but people's mental health and being able to Kind of hybrid schedule is so much nicer the grand scheme of things that's awesome um, that's awesome so i think just seeing people is what you need for me at least like some human connection partial kind of going in every so often is perfect uh, but otherwise uh, yeah i think only in the office will be uh, the thing of the past got it okay I, excuse my barking dog i think it's the <laughs> the amazon driver yeah, no um, that um, you know, I, I I do think that um, you know, working from home is definitely if the only positive thing that actually came from COVID. Um, yeah. You know, I really feel like it opened up a lot of opportunities and, and doors uh, for people. I know studios are hiring. Um, you know, literally across the countries. It's crazy. Yeah, totally. Because companies never thought, like, uh, we want to hire someone in a state far from us or another country. But at this point, they're set up for it. And half your my team that I'm working on, like, everyone is in a different area. So, like, it's totally, that's kind of the way forward, I think. So that you get access to so much more talent if you hire like, remotely. Right, right. Give me one moment. So sorry. <laughs> All right, so we're back at it. Um, so this is kind of, I think, an important question for a lot of people in the industry and um, people who are trying to get into it, um, work-life balance, you know, I feel like everyone kind of has their own ways of dealing with it. 
And I'm sure there's no real perfect way of dealing with it, but what, what have you found that kind of works for you a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, that's super difficult because now that your office is two steps away from your bed, like <laughs> people don't think about crunch the same way. It's not like you're at an office somewhere and you're staying there until 10 p.m. Like you're at home all the time. Like there's no commute. There's no time to yourself. Um, I think that's something people do have to still do. Um, there was an article again, Google it. You'll believe me. <laughs> where people were taking a drive for a half an hour, just leaving their house and then driving right back home just so they have that moment that they're like in their own head, that commute time, right? Where you kind of disconnect from work. I don't personally do that. Um, I think that's <laughs> a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you still need that. Like you sit down, try and have a, like, a proper breakfast, like do your normal life. Don't just become like a drone. Um, and work super late like put in your expectation with team how much really needs to get done and try and be healthy with how you work um it's okay to take a break once in a while or get up and go grab tea right right um and i if i remember correctly it was the um it was that cold tea that you like i forget the name of it um um it, it wasn't a traditional tea. It was like, it had ice cubes in it and everything. Ice cubes, bubble tea? Might've been bubble tea, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still need to try that by the way. <laughs> um, my cousin, when he started working from home, you know, it was, it was crazy for him. He literally was one of those people who just rolled out of bed and was like a drone. Um, it's, it's crazy. Um, but anyways, moving on from that, um, personal projects, how important do you feel that is for someone who's actively in the, in the, uh, industry? Uh, I would say not so important. I think it's important to have your own personal life outside of your job. Um, so for me, that's teaching, that's doing my own hobbies. Um, but I would say it can be quite difficult if you've been modeling for eight hours a day to then sit down at night and model more. <laughs> um, it's totally it consumes you. Yeah. yeah. So I think that would be uh, a thing. But I think when you're not in the industry, um, it's totally a good thing. You just need to make sure your scope is correct. Like, don't be aiming for a massive thing that's going to take you a year because you probably won't finish it. And that's, I mean, that's totally fine. But if you kind of scope down and then half that scope, then you'll probably be at a project that you'll be willing to finish within X amount of weeks or whatever. Um, something you that, enjoy. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, uh, Thomas. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks and, for having me. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I actually think you're one of the the first teachers um, um, we uh, we onboarded, or at least I or I onboarded, I should say. So you know, <laughs> doing this with you now, it's a it's a real special treat. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. And that's a wrap.
All right, thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.